Hello and welcome to the In Publishing Podcast. My name is James Evely and I'm the editor of In Publishing. My guest this time is Dave Musgrove, Content Director for the History Portfolio at Immediate Media and one of the driving forces behind the hugely successful History Extra podcast, which is currently celebrating the twin milestones of 15 years and 150 million downloads. Dave tells us how the podcast has evolved. For the first few years, it was very much a marketing channel reaching out enabling us to develop uh, other digital iterations um, more recently um, it's definitely a monetizable product and we're we're, we're now taking revenue directly uh, via advertisements and, uh, and 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 very recently via a subscription product he also explains the thinking behind their decision to put a paywall on the history extra website you do have to reach a point where you think well our content has value this is this is high quality premium content and there is a risk in putting content out there and not uh not not demonstrating uh, the, the fact that it is worth paying for i mean i think that is important it's important to to say that, that you know the stuff you've made created commissioned edited um has a value and is and is worth paying off otherwise you're you're devaluing it immediately and the importance of giving the audience what they want i think it's all about trying to uh, give our users, our audience, the content that they want in the medium that they want. So we're well placed for that. So if you're a podcast listener, we're giving you podcasts. If you're a print uh, magazine purchaser, we're giving you print magazines. If you're a, if you're a fan of, of websites, then you can get the, the content on the websites. We're about um, hopefully to, to build out a, a, an app, which will also um, complement the, 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 the paywall operation. Amongst many other things. Before we hear more from Dave, a quick word about our valued sponsors. We would like to thank our podcast sponsor, Air Business, a market leader in distribution and subscription management services for the publishing industry. Its end-to-end service includes subscriber acquisition and marketing strategy, worldwide distribution, digital mail and e-commerce fulfillment, and warehouse and freight logistics. For more information, visit airbusiness.com. Dave Musgrove, welcome to the In Publishing Podcast. Uh, thanks very much for having me, James. Now, firstly, many congratulations on hitting two big milestones with your History Extra podcast. 15 years and an amazing 150 million downloads. I mean, it's simply fantastic. How do you plan to celebrate? Well, of course, by talking to you on, on this podcast, which is a, a great honour. Thank you so much for having me. Um, but obviously, yeah, we're looking to, to commemorate these these two quite notable milestones. So we've uh, commissioned a new series, um, which is called 15 Minutes of Fame, to tie in with the, the 15 theme there. And we've asked 15 leading historians to nominate people from history who deserve to have a bit more credit. And we've asked, me, asked the, the historians to tell their stories in 15 minutes. So we've got, for instance, Susanna Lipscomb, Mark Morris, Jerry Brosson, Tom Holland, Michael Woods, and Janina Ramirez amongst the uh, historical luminaries nominating. And they're telling some really interesting stories. And I think it's going to be a really exciting series and an addition to our, to our podcast offering. Okay, well, brilliant. Without giving anything away, and what kind of people are they looking at? Um, people who deserve a bit more credit. What kind of instance or people would that be? So it's, so it's people who either um, have been ignored by history, have been missed out by historians, or perhaps just a couple of occasions where they've just got really interesting life stories. So um, a couple of examples. Tom Holland, um, who's, who's, who's a great communicator, has chosen a chap called 
uh, Franz Nopscher. Um, never quite sure how to pronounce his name, and Tom wasn't entirely sure either. But he's a he's a, a very curious chap, a Hungarian Albanian aristocrat from the turn of the twentieth century who lived a fantastic life. Was a, an adventurer and a geologist and a paleobotanist, uh, and surprisingly was the first man to hijack a plane. Uh, lived lived an amazing life, and then died at quite a tragic end, which I, I won't I won't reveal because it it's, uh, slightly spoils the story. But um, that's the the sort of measure. And then Jerry Brotton, the um, the the, the, uh, the the lecturer from Queen Mary University of London, uh, has chosen Mary Tharp, who was a groundbreaking cartographer from the middle of the 20th century. This woman had an amazing life, and she basically uh, mapped the ocean floor and helped to establish the uh, the concept of continental drift. Um, and she's been she's been very much overlooked. She's not a famous figure, but she was really important in uh, in establishing uh, what we understand of of, um, of, of geographical process. Fascinating. And you might have said these are going out what, in the magazine or, or presumably in the podcast. They're going out in the podcast. So we're going to launch them on the 27th of June and we're going to run one week in the podcast. And we're also going to have uh, text based versions of them going onto our onto our website. And, uh, and we'll have some sort of element on the in the magazine as well. Now, if you look back to 2007, um, uh, the development of the podcast, what was the thinking and the expectation when you launched History Extra podcast back then? So uh, I remember it uh, quite vividly. I was the editor of BBC History magazine at the time, and I was uh, lined up to interview a, a chap called uh, Professor Ian Kershaw, uh, who's now Professor Sir Ian Kershaw. And he is one of the leading experts in the Third Reich, uh, a great biographer of Hitler and an expert on Nazi Germany. So a really big name. And I thought, well, I was I was, I was going to uh, interview him and write a feature for the magazine. I thought, well, I've heard talk of this podcasting thing. Uh, if I'm going to speak to him anyway, why don't I see if he's okay with me recording it and we'll we'll try and make a podcast. And and we did. Uh, and it sounded pretty good. I thought it was a really interesting conversation. We put it out and and some people listened and we thought, well, this this we're onto something here. Um, so we, we committed to then uh, attempt to do a monthly podcast from there. Uh, got some really good names uh, involved and, and, and the thing spiraled over the years. And so what we were thinking to do at the time was just to make sure that we were maximizing what we were getting out of our content. And it just seemed like like a really obvious idea that if you're speaking to somebody uh, for a print feature, you might as well record the interview and, and see how it works. Obviously, we've uh, developed and iterated quite a lot since then, but it was a pretty simple idea to speak to people who had something to say, interesting people, um, to uh, and to let them speak at length. At the time, there wasn't really many opportunities for uh, historians to, to speak at length, you know, for half an hour, 45 minutes, and explain their, their research, their thinking, their new ideas um, without being interrupted. Um, aside from hopefully some uh, some some trenchant questions, um, uh, that 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 wasn't that wasn't the case. Now, quite different. There's a lot of podcasts going on, as, as I'm sure you're aware. Uh, but back then, it was uh, it was quite a new idea, and it seemed like a seemed like a, a sensible way to approach things. Uh, and what was your expectations in terms of numbers? I mean, obviously, it's it's grown enormously. Did, what was your sense of how big it would grow when you first started? I mean that that is a great question because really we had no idea at all. We just we just thought, well, this is this is a worthwhile thing to do to uh, to give additional benefit to our to our to our readers. You know, we we talked about it in the magazine. We said, well, you know, if you're buying the magazine, if you like this, then why not have this little extra benefit? So I kind of think we thought at the, at the time that it would be simply listened to by our subscribers and, and newsstand purchasers. Um, we didn't have much of a digital presence at the time, um, but actually, um, it proved to be a really strong hit. We got in. 
been at a really good time. Apple um, picked us up and supported us, and 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 you know when we got good slots in um, uh, in their podcast bar at the time, and people started talking about us and listening to us, and it gave us a platform to 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 really build our digital presence over the over the next fifteen years, and and you know we can we can talk about that a bit more, I guess, um, if you'd like to go into that. Absolutely, uh, and I must ask, which over the over the fifteen years has been the single episode which has been the most popular, had the most downloads, and and why do you think that is? Um, well, it's, it's a slightly uh, it's a slightly difficult question to answer actually, because obviously we've been going for fifteen years, um, we've done over thirteen hundred episodes, and uh, it, it, there's a long tail of listens. So people, uh, when they find us, they tend to listen back to episodes over the years. So uh, the, some of the earlier episodes have uh, a, a sort of a, an abnormal number of listens simply by dint of the fact that they've been around for a while but if we look at the last couple of years um the podcasts that have been in the top 10 are episodes mostly from a, from a new sort of franchise that we launched at the start of the pandemic which is the everything you want to know series uh, and the idea there is that we um, it's user generated content we basically pick a big topic let's say the black death uh, and we find a, a leading expert who can answer questions on it uh, and then we put a call out on social media um, to our to our audience and say what questions would you like answered on this topic uh, we check out what's uh, what the the big search terms are on uh, on Google Search Console and Ahrefs, and, and sort of check out what people are looking for, and then we pull together a list of questions that sort of explain that particular topic. We put them to the uh, to the expert, and, and we have a really in depth look at a big topic, um, and that seems to be very very popular. So so in the last couple of years, um, the, the top ten is dominated by podcasts in that series. Uh, and what kind of numbers are we looking at? Obviously, you've had one hundred and fifty million downloads overall. Yeah, a successful podcast, a successful episode. How many roughly downloads would you be looking for an individual episode? Um, it, it does vary quite a lot, but somewhere between uh, you know one hundred and two hundred thousand would be would be a, a sort of a decent sort of number. Wow, wow! And um, in terms of other popular things, are, are there, in your experience, periods of history, you know, eras, particular historical characters that prove to be kind of dead cert winners as well? We've got. We've got a big following amongst our listenership of people who are interested in medieval history. So, um, so, so topics in about medieval kings and queens seem to go down uh, very well. The Tudors, you won't be surprised. I know you you know a bit about history yourself, James. The Tudors are, are, are perennially popular topics, so so that always goes down well. Um, the wars, the First World War, Second World War, they continue to be interesting. Um, but we do find that, you know, some some sort of outliers do well as well for, for reasons that we can't quite explain. Um, there, there was one on uh, medieval Ethiopia, which was which went down very well, for instance, um, which perhaps was was a slightly surprising, surprising choice. So sometimes things just get picked up by by certain groups, I think, and people listen to them. Um, but it's kind of, you know, the, the more obvious big historical historical topics seem to go down well. Uh, and when it comes to creating a successful podcast, which you've obviously done, what are the top things to get right? Are there you know, any tips you can give us um, for the rest of us, so to speak, uh, and any common pitfalls to avoid? Well, um, as, as we were setting up this podcast, you went to, to great lengths to try and ensure that we had the audio quality right. So, you know, you taught me for a list of things to do and not to do. Um, and, and that is 
crucial. Um, you've got to do your best to get the, the the best quality audio that you can. If people are lending you their ears to listen to to the podcast, um, you need to do them the service of making sure that the quality is is as strong as it can be. So um, invest in 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 technology and kit and time spent with your interviewees if you've got an interview based podcast to ensure that they know what's required of them. And, and to uh, as as you said to me at the start of the podcast, turn off your phone, make sure the door's not going to slam, that sort of thing. It's absolutely crucial. It's basic, but it's crucial. Um, secondly, I think it's really good to to, to commit to 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 to, uh, to, 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 to some sort of format. Um, so uh, you've got to find something that you can keep doing, so that the audience that you build up knows to expect a, a familiar sort of format. It's not really. I don't think it's very beneficial to do one great podcast on one topic and then and then sort of leave it at that. Say so you've done podcasting and, and we're done. You need to you need to be able to commit to doing something on a regular basis. It doesn't matter what 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 level of regularity, um, but 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 to be regular and it could be a season. You know, ten episodes over a summer or something like that. That would be absolutely fine. But something that you can that, that, so the audience knows that there's more. You've got to keep giving them more, um, and I, I think that's very important. And if you're coming at it from the angle of a of a of a publishing house of a of a media company, maybe a, a, a print publishing company. Um, You've got to sort of find find a way to play to your strengths there, and that's you know that's what we've done with with the History Extra podcast. As I said at the the top of the interview, um, we we basically did uh, an extension of what we were doing anyway, interviewing and talking to historians. We had access to historians, to, to leading figures in historical study. They were willing to talk to us because of the of the print magazine, um, so it was fairly easiest for easiest easy for us to just have that extension. Um, so keep it simple, find a format that you can do uh, and, and try and build off your existing platform. So if you're a, a reviews magazine or a, or, or, or a reviews website, um, then you know maybe get your reviews editor to, to uh, agree to do a regular review section, something that you can keep going with. Um, I think that's crucial. Um, it, the regularity of frequency and, and a sense that the audience can keep coming back and listening to something which has uh, a similar vein to it. And in terms of common pitfalls to avoid, I, I presume in one sense it's not doing any of those. But um, <laughs> are, there, are there any other pitfalls which, in your experience, um, maybe even you've maybe even done some yourself, or but from what you know, publishers, you know, you know, get wrong, you know, before they get get it right, obviously. Yeah, I think don't don't. I mean, it's it's a build on what I've just said. Don't try and make things too too clever. Um, once you've once you've established where you're at, once you, once you've got a presence, once you know what you're doing, then you can start thinking about doing more exciting things, more more complicated things like you know multi part narrative series, that sort of thing. Um, but but don't don't get ahead of yourself when you're starting. Do something which you know you can deliver. That's the that's the key thing, um, because you might not be able to monetize this in the in the in the first instance. You've got to do something which you know you can you can rely on and can and can and can keep delivering. Um, so uh, so you know manage your expectations. I suppose that would be the that would be the main thing. Now, now, Dave, you mentioned earlier that you know when you started the podcast, it was very part of the motivation was to make sure you're exploring you know th- this new channel, or I say new, f- you know, fairly new channel, which a lot of publishers hadn't yet explored. But in terms of you know as it's developed and you know to the size it is now, what, what is the business case for the podcast, uh, and where does it fit in with your overall publishing strategy? So, um, 
as you know, I, I work for Immediate Media. Um, that's our, our parent company of BBC History Magazine and, and History Extra. And Immediate, um, uh, one of the main planks of Immediate strategy is to build out new digital streams, uh, new digital revenue streams that uh, that play to our existing strengths. So we've got some great brands uh, doing some great things, and we're all about trying to to branch out, diversify into into new channels. So it fits in very clearly into that. From History Extra's perspective specifically and from BBC History Magazine to start with, um, the, the expectation was that it would be a marketing uh, channel in the first instance, that it would reach out, as I said, to start with, that we would um, uh, deliver added value to our existing readers and subscribers, but then we would also start to reach out and find new people. And that proved to be the case, and that and we were thus able to uh, build out some some very uh, very strong very early digital iterations of of the print magazine um we were we were early into digital editions and we were able to do that because we'd established a digital audience um via the podcast we had people who were aware of what we stood for our brand our name uh and uh, importantly beyond uh beyond just uh, these shores beyond britain um so we um we quickly built up an american following which has been very useful to us in in building out the the digital editions and i know this because um anecdotally um back back in the day back in you know i don't know 2010 2011 um uh uh, there was a bunch of historians who were sent by their publishers to do book tours in the States. And they came back to me and said, we had a great book tour. We we spoke to, to big crowds in all sorts of places. And, and what we kept hearing was that, um, that people had first heard of me and my book via the History Extra podcast. So, you know, light bulb moment there. Obviously, that meant that we were we were reaching an audience that uh, that we weren't uh, able to reach. So that was that was super helpful. So for for the first few years, it was very much a marketing channel reaching out enabling us to develop uh, other digital iterations um more recently um it's definitely a monetizable product and we're 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 now taking revenue directly uh via advertisements and uh and 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 very recently via a subscription product okay can you tell us a bit more about the the subs product yeah, so um, in, ter- in terms of the podcast, that is. Yeah, of course. So back in in June uh, last year, June twenty one, uh, we 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 uh, agreed with Apple, um, who we obviously we talk uh, very regularly with, um, to to go on to their their brand new premium channel. Um, so we've got a, a podcast, History Extra Plus, which sits on their premium subscriber channel, and listeners can get access to this for one ninety nine a month. And what you get there is an ad-free version of the podcast. So it's um, so all, all the ads are, are spliced out. So if you're uh, not somebody who wants to listen to ads, you can you can you can avoid them there. Um, but we also provide exclusive early access to uh, some of our to, to our series. So we've started doing multi-format, uh, multi-episode narrative series now. Um, we started the first one we did was an episode, a series about the Princes in the Tower, the famous Tudor mystery. Um, I think that was a, an eight-part series, uh, and then we've done ones on the Salem witch trials, um, uh, history mysteries, various other multi-form um, series. And so what we're doing with those, we are putting those onto the onto the premium podcast, so that listeners get access to them in one block earlier than uh, listeners to our to our um, uh, to our to our feed with the ads on. Uh, and we've also curated some channels on there as well. So we've um, we've badged up podcasts on on particular themes on medieval history, on Viking history, on the Tudors, etc. So people who've got a particular interest area can find a, a guided listening choice there as well. So it's pretty interesting, um, and uh, you know, very very. Very early days with that, and I think um, it's still 
probably uh, something which which needs we quite a lot more work to to develop. But it's um, we've, we're seeing some positive results. We're seeing quite a few people are prepared to to invest um, hard hard cash in it, and and that's you know that's gratifying. Um, I guess quite a few people have probably been listening to us for for, for quite a few years, and uh, it feel, feel some obligation perhaps to, to to hand over some money. But others, I'm sure, are are benefit are just thinking this is good value um, and, uh, and and worth paying for. Um, the series that we're doing, I, I should just mention these a bit, a bit more. So um, as I was saying, our, our sort of our, our initial concept was just to allow historians to speak, and and, and that's good, and that is our, still our main our main conceit. But what we do, uh, what we've started doing now, um, it, it, we've got the Everything You Want to Know podcast series, which I mentioned earlier. But we're also doing these the, this other franchise, which is a narrative series, uh, where we pick a topic and we interview a bunch of people and we create basically a radio style program. You you need to invest a lot more time and uh, resources into doing that, obviously. But the end result feels like it's a, a, a quite a different product, uh, and so we feel that that is uh, a very strong element for this um, for this paid for feed. I should say also that what we're we are then running the uh, the, the those narrative el- uh, episodes onto the onto the main feed as well, but some um, you know a, a couple of months delay. So you're still getting them if you're uh, if you're um, listening to the main feed, but you're getting the exclusive early access if you're listening to the to the subscription feed oh because i was about to ask whether in a way having a subs channel is a complicating factor because you have to decide which goes into which channel but it sounds like everything goes into both but there's a timing element is that right that's right so we 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 did have a a little bit of that when we started this and we thought well we're going to have to produce um stuff specifically and exclusively for this channel but then we thought do you know what actually we we don't need to do that because the benefit here is the early access, the exclusivity, and the ad free. So that's what we're that's what we're trading on now, and we're and we're just sort of maximising use of our time by then putting it out onto the onto the main feed after the fact. It just sounds like an enormous operation. Your podcast. I mean, what what kind of resources in terms of headcount are you are are, are devoted to your podcasting? So the the good thing about the history extra podcast is um, it's not it's not one person. Um, it's it's a range of voices, uh, and that applies to interviewees and interviewers. Um, so, in comparison to some to other podcasts out there, which are very much dominated by one person or or, or, or one one sort of narrative story, we're doing we're we're allowing lots of voices to to speak and uh, and 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 be part of the operation. So, we've got a a, a team of, of of producers of technical um, staff who are helping to. Uh, sort out the the audio, make sure we've got the right quality, and do the edits, the actual technical edits. So we've got um, three or four people doing that. Um, we've got two designated podcast editors within the History Extra team, so two people whose sole remit is to work on the podcast. But importantly and crucially, and and this has always been the case, the entire BBC History magazine uh, and also its sister magazine, BBC History Revealed, and our website team on History Extra. All those people are involved in the interviewing process. So uh, we've got a roster of maybe ten people who are who are doing the interview. So our our, um, our, our podcast editorial meetings are good fun because we have a bunch of people, uh, and uh, you know everyone comes with ideas and, and uh, you know suggestions of people to interview. Um, and it's a, it's a bit of a bun fight for who who does what. But we but we've got a lot of people who are who are willing to pitch in, and that's been kind of 
the nub of the success of the operation, to be honest. I mean, obviously putting out a lot of episodes a week is hard work. You need people to be invested in and think it's uh, think it's a worthwhile thing to be doing. Um, because, you know, we've been doing it for a while and we've seen growth. We've seen that it's good. Um, uh, our editorial team are really happy to engage with it. And I think, I think find it to be uh, a, a very enjoyable part of their work and perhaps a diversion from what they would uh, normally be doing if, if they're a, a sub or a, or a writer on, on one of the print magazines. Now, when you celebrated your 100 million downloads, which in fact was only a year ago, so I mean, it sounds like exponential growth going on here. Um, You said uh, at the time that you had big idea or big plans for, quote, more series, new ideas and new formats. Um, I'd be particularly interested to hear about your thoughts on, on new ideas and formats. Yeah. So, I mean, as I said, the the Everything You Want to Know strand has been so popular that we're definitely going to continue with that and try and build that out uh, and, and perhaps think about other ways that we can involve people in, in uh, sort of the, 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 the user generated side of things. Um, I'm, I'm, I've got ideas about a club that might sit around that of people who are sort of really invested in that. And I think that's one thing that's interesting. I think these these uh, multi-form, uh, multi-episode narrative series are going to be a big plank of what we do going forward. Um, so we've got plans for for quite a few of those going ahead. Uh, and I think they, they, they will sort of bookmark what we're doing and will be a real uh, point of, 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 um, uh, of listenership for people. They will come to us and they say, oh, okay, it's those guys who did the Salem Witch Trial series. So I think that's important. Um, I'm also very excited about the, the 15 minutes concept that I, that I talked about at the top of the interview. I think that's going to um, uh, present a lot of opportunities to do slightly shorter form uh, episodes. I should have said, I mean, our episodes vary from maybe half an hour to to an hour of these everything you want to know series they they tend to go for 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 a little bit longer um but we we rarely go too much uh, shorter than that but with this shorter format it's um i i sort of hope have hope and aspiration that we might attract a slightly different audience um people who want a, a a quicker listen and i think there's way things that we can do with um uh, with that sort of format and perhaps build out into a a a, 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 a quick biographies um, strand, for instance, that would be fun. I've also um, I've got ideas about something to do with travel, history and travel. I think there's something there, um, but that's uh, that's slightly unformed at the moment. But I think there's uh, there's something that we can do in that space as well. Sounds fascinating. Uh, and if you look at other podcasters, you know, outside of the history history space, I mean, what what general trends are you seeing in the way people put together for, um, podcasts and market them? Um, and I, I suppose from the listener's point of view, you know, how people are accessing them. Um, I mean, I'm I'm pretty interested in what's going on with video at the moment. That seems to be a bit of a, uh, a growth area of people um, creating podcasts that are also uh, vodcasts, for, for want of a, a better word. Um, you, you you would have thought that there wouldn't be that much interest in watching someone sat in a recording studio having a chat with someone else, but that seems to be a thing that people are engaging with. Um, so I think there's uh, there's there's some potential there. That's maybe an area in which podcasting will um, will 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 move forward with. Um, so we will be keeping an eye on that. I think there's you know. Th- celebrity podcasts are clearly uh, a big thing um i wonder if people are going to uh maybe get a little tired of 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 constantly listening to the same people talking about the same sort of interview so um so perhaps there will be space for some new formats to come through i mean i i 
I really enjoy um, uh, a BBC Sounds podcast, the Danny Robbins um, podcast about ghost stories, which seems to be quite an interesting little take. Um, I think there's a lot of space for sort of mysteries at podcasts. That seems to be very much an area where um, where people are, are are happy to to uh, to invest their time listening to things. So I think um, there's there's a there's a few things there, um, but uh, but I do wonder about what's happening with video. I mean, of course, video opens up, uh, I'd say, n- new opportunities, but a whole load of production variables, which um, you'd need to get your head around as well, I suppose. Yeah, wow, it's uh, it's a it's a bit of a head scratch there to work out how you how you do that. Obviously, um, if you're editing for audio, it's that's one thing, and it's you know, reasonably easy to sort of um, to make edits, clip things out. Um, but if you then throw in video as well, it's a, it's a whole different paradigm of difficulty to make edits um, without um, making for a really clunky sort of um, a clunky sort of watch. So then you need to start um, thinking about dropping in uh, slideshows and, and things like that to, to to cover edits. So then it becomes quite a different operation. I think you can. There's a there's a. I'm not sure whether this is true nowadays i think certainly a little while ago you could get away with a, a podcast that had a kind of a a bit of a bucolic vibe to it as if you uh you know slightly slightly um under edited perhaps i don't think you can get away with that on video so easily so i think you do need to um to, to make sure that you're working out what you do but i get i mean it doesn't need to be a straight um uh video of, of two people talking if that's if that's if your format um you know obviously you can uh overlay images and just have a, a waveform going underneath it and that sort of thing so there's there's lots of ways to 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 think about it and, and try and work it out um but i think you know there's yeah there's there's definitely interest in that i just think you know if you've gone to the effort of of of, of, of conducting an interview creating a podcast um it's it's maybe not a huge step to think about uh what you can do in terms of video now, before we talk about your paywall, your new paywall on historyextra.com, Dave, I must ask you about the book you published last year, um, The Story of the Bayer Tapestry, Unraveling the Norman Conquest. F- firstly, you know, wh- why do you find the tapestry fo- so fascinating? Uh, and secondly, are there any myths and misconceptions about the tapestry that you can put right for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I should I should name check uh, my co-author, a chap called Professor Michael Lewis, who I, I wrote it with. He's a, a great expert on the tapestry. Um, reason I wrote it was because uh, I, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, there was um, uh, uh, President Macron and Theresa May agreed that the Bayeux tapestry would be loaned to Britain from Bayeux in Normandy uh, at some point in the, in the near future. And that was going to create a quite a big moment. If that loan does ever come off, then it'll be probably one of the, the biggest um, historical displays uh, in a museum that, uh, that's that's ever happened why am i fascinated by it well um the other day on twitter i saw a a meme of somebody who'd created uh something in the style of the bio tapestry which was telling the story of what's happened in ukraine in the last few months and i think that's that's the reason why it's because basically the tapestry it was it was made a thousand years ago just after 1066 the battle of hastings um so it's uh, you know a millennium old very venerable but yet it still is being used today um as a as a mechanism to tell stories to engage in political discourse and uh i, I well, you know you can you can tell me but i can't think of a single other piece of art medieval or otherwise that has the longevity and long durée of the bio tapestry somehow it just continues to speak to us um 
any any misconception i mean there's there's quite a few the, the the biggest one and i'm sure i'm sure you're aware of it is the fact that um uh it doesn't necessarily show king harold being um um being shot in the eye uh in the in the end of the battle of um hastings uh though the the current tapestry shows a figure who does indeed have an arrow pointing into his eye um that's probably been stitched in in a, a later restoration in the uh, 18th or 19th centuries uh, and the original um most likely didn't show uh, an arrow going into his eye um that doesn't necessarily mean that harold didn't die from a, a, a an eye an arrow wound but the tapestry um didn't show that uh, in its original iteration now, I believe you've recently introduced a digital paywall on historyextra.com. Um, a lot of publishers, as you know, Dave, are, are wrestling with paywall strategies. Can you tell us a bit about the thought processes that went into your decision? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as I said, we, you know, we've been building up our, our digital um, our identity, our digital brand over, over the past few years, um, established a place there where we're pretty well recognised. And, um, and and we thought we'd got to a point, got to the time where uh, we were ready to to start trying to monetize that content. And we have a lot of material on our on our website. We spend a lot of time in developing it, curating it. We've got we're paying for um, edit, web editorial people to to, um, to to work on that site and to and to get it into into a shape which um, which which looked good. Um, as I said, it fits into Immediate's overall strategy of looking to diversify content streams and to and to make the absolute best of the of the content sources that we are producing um and also i think we've you know we've come to a point now where there is a recognition and acceptance that uh subscription uh paying for services for for um for for for, for you know for for digital assets is something that people are familiar with and happy to do um and so it felt like it was the right time to to dip our toes in and see if we could um reach an audience and you know it's you do have to reach a point where you think well our content has value this is this is high quality premium content and there is a risk in putting content out there and not uh, not not demonstrating uh, the, the fact that it is worth paying for. I mean, I think that is important. It's important to to say that, that you know the stuff you've made, created, commissioned, edited, um, has a value and is and is worth paying. Otherwise, you're you're devaluing it immediately. So um, so so it's uh, it felt like the, the right space to do it and the right time to do it. And is the paywall a hard paywall, soft paywall, hybrid? You know, all these all these term all this terminology comes around. But you know, is it? site wide or can people still read some free stuff as well there are it, it's i'd say um it's it's pretty hard at the moment though we are testing and iterating and, and constantly sort of changing and making sure that we're doing the right thing um there are some areas where we're definitely um closing it off so on the premium podcast i'm talking about uh we've got them on the site as well and it would wouldn't really make sense to have them uh free access elsewhere um we've also got um quite a few video resources and assets on the site which again uh are sort of just perpetually closed off there's some other areas where we allow certain uh, levels of access and uh, and we allow certain sorts of access depending on where you've come from in your in your web journey so we're trying to understand uh the, the, the sort of the user journey to the site um but um, I think it's, as I said, it's, it's very much an iterative process. And, and I think anyone who's involved with paywalls knows that you've got to keep testing uh, and trying uh, and seeing what works. And that is, you know, that is the, the beauty of this, this sort of thing is you can very quickly get uh, results and data and understand what people want and don't want and what works and doesn't work. 
And is the end, I take your point about you having to, you know, in a way, see how it goes. But can you see an end site, an end goal where it is a complete hard paywall across the site? And literally, if you want to look at any history extra content whatsoever, you, you've got to pay. I, I, I wouldn't make that prediction because I think actually when you look at quite a few of the other sites that are involved with paywalls, they kind of. There's there's times when they appear to have had um, hard paywalls. I'm not sorry. There are, there are times when those websites seem to have had hard paywalls, and uh, other times when they seem to have softer paywalls. And I think anyone who's involved with it is, as I said, is constantly testing and trying things. So it may be that at some point in the uh, in the next few months or, or year or so, we go for a, like a super hard paywall. But equally, we may then um, may, may then pivot to, to to look at different ways. And it's gonna it's gonna very much depend on uh, audience reaction changing patterns i mean you know the, the the web audience is not a uh a homogenous bunch it's you know there people are doing different things at different times and and things may well change very rapidly so um we will we will just keep an eye on it and see what's what's working and most appropriate at a, any given time you've got to be nimble with this sort of thing and when did the paywall go up how, how long has it been in operation for uh so it's it's been uh, a year or so and it's 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 going pretty well um people are interested in it they are um we we're, we're seeing the numbers that we wanted to see we're on track for our budget um and i think there's there's definitely uh a a, a space for paywalls nowadays that perhaps maybe didn't exist uh quite so readily a few years back now you might have touched on it already but what have you what have been the key learnings so far so it's been up about a year as you say you've got to be nimble you, you've got to try things out what, what have you learned um so far well, I think the the biggest thing that we've learned is just how sort of complicated it is to get something like this off the ground. You might think it's pretty easy. You just slap a paywall functionality on a site and and, and walk away and hope that people pay. Um, obviously, you could do that, but that's that would be um, that probably wouldn't work very well. Um, the thing the thing about immediate media is um, we're sort of as I said uh, in an earlier answer, we're, we're very much set to be looking to develop these sorts of channels to diversify what we're doing. Um, so we've got a, a whole new company structure, which has been implemented um, in the last year, year and a half with a central, um, a central a bunch of central teams uh, working to support and add expertise to the brand team. So history is a brand team. We've got a bunch of central uh, teams who are, who are doing uh, uh, all, all sorts of uh, pieces of work that help us to get where we're going. So to develop the paywall, it's been um, a mighty cross-functional enterprise over 12, 18 months of people getting in rooms, well, getting in virtual rooms, um, given, given where we are, uh, and and thrashing things out, trying to understand what is the most important thing, how do we get things working, um, getting getting you know going going with a test and learn MPV um, uh, approach, um, MVP approach, um, and 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 seeing what works because you know it's uh, it's it's new stuff and you've got to you've got to be able to to move and and act quickly um, to to get get something like this working. But but early findings after the year, it, it's something you, you're going to pursue the paywall strategy. You feel that this is the right path. Yeah, absolutely. But I think I, I wonder whether uh, there's, as I was talking about earlier, whether there's a sort of a more clubbable element to it that we need to develop to to try and make sure that we are allowing people to talk to us rather than being talked at. I don't think we are talking at, but to allow a bit more user interaction and a space for people to um, to to get involved with what we're doing. One of the things that. Um, 
I'm very pleased with that, that we've developed over the, uh, during the paywall is is uh, creating a suite of newsletters which are um, sort of uh, genre specific. So a medieval newsletter, a Tudor newsletter, a Victorian newsletter, um, and these going out fortnightly and appealing to people who have self-selected as, as saying, I am interested in Tudor history, I am interested in medieval history. And those newsletters are written by named members of editorial staff and they have their pictures uh, uh on on the newsletter and they are saying stuff about you know that particular topic and highlighting content that we've got on the site podcasts that we've got coming out giving users a sense of of how we're working what we're doing what we're exciting about what we're doing and and sort of allowing them a little insight into into our process and i think we could build that out a bit more and i think that'd be quite an interesting way to to develop a subscription to have a a, a bit more of a, a clubby element to it Community is the buzzword at the moment. Is that is that are that is that the line you're thinking of when you talk about club? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, allowing allowing people to 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 get involved a bit more into into the editorial process, um, to offer suggestions, to, and to and to know what we're working on. I think that's quite important to give a sense that they can be part of our of our approach. Now, looking ahead, um, what are, what would you say are your main objectives for your various history brands? So. Obviously, we're looking to grow. Um, we want to continue to reach out to our to our digital audiences, but also we want to engage them more. That's kind of the key thing. We want to get them really invested in what we're doing and move them around uh, our, our various properties as best we can and and as as appropriate to them. I think it's all about trying to uh, give our users, our audience, the content that they want in the medium that they want. So we're well placed for that. So if you're a podcast listener, we're giving you podcasts. If you're a print uh, magazine purchaser, we're giving you print magazines. If you're a, if you're a fan of, of websites, then you can get the, the content on the websites. We're about um, hopefully to, to build out a, a, an app, which will also um, complement the, 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 the paywall operation. Um, so, to to make it sh- to make to make to give the users what they want in the in the place that they want that seems really important to me um and and you know not to force it if they don't want to listen to podcasts that's cool but to give them the option and to and to try and encourage them to say you know that actually this is you might like this this is some extra stuff this is stuff that might interest you um so i think that's that's really important to to um to get engagement into the site um into our operation and to get people uh very much invested in it because that's that's the way that we're gonna uh build that community sense that i think you, you, you talked about earlier yeah, you mentioned a new app. Can you? Is there anything more you can tell us about that, or is that still very much in the planning stages? Uh, it's it's in the planning stages, but uh, but f- fairly close to fruition, I think. And that will be uh, essentially an iteration of the of the of the website, um, but with some extra features, and which will be uh, which will which will allow our, our our users to access the content sort of in the palm of their hand, uh, if if that's if that's what they choose. And we will, um, I think, uh, sort of link it very very closely to the to what we're doing with the paywall. So obviously, uh, I was about to say yeah, a paid offering rather than a free offering. Yeah, yeah, but but um, but very much linked to to the to the digital subscription within the within the website. Now, stepping back from you know outside of history for a moment, um, and you look at and if you look at the the wider consumer magazine sector, um, I mean obviously there are overlaps. Um, how do you see the the wider sector evolving over the next few years? Uh, the, the print magazine sector. Well, well, g- generally, well, no, no, not just print. Um, you know, magazine with a sm- with a small M, I suppose, you know, digital and print, you know, the companies like Immediate, um, Future, um, and Bauer, you know, where, where do you see the sector as a whole going over the next few years? 
Well, there's a there's a I mean, there is a lot of diversifying of of, of channels and revenue streams in there. I mean, future uh, are obviously doing all sorts of things in that respect. Um, I think that will definitely be a thing that uh, that people uh, are looking to do to find new ways to to reach out to audiences and to and to uh, position their content um, to to audiences uh, in 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 new and innovative ways. Um, I, I do wonder about prints specifically um so I've been, I've been in the business for for 20 years or so now and I'm, I'm pretty sure that people were predicting the death of print when i started um it's obviously still very much alive um prickly conditions with the with the pandemic clearly particularly for newsstand though it did i'm sure for 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 certainly for immediate and i'm sure for for many other publishers provide uh an opportunity to to garner new subscribers when people weren't able to go to the shops but i do wonder whether there's going to be something interesting and surprising that happens in the newsstand in the next in the next few years you know obviously the the high street is changing rapidly what what is going to happen there i don't think it necessarily follows that that, that you know there just won't be anyone going there and there no shops will sell magazines I, I don't i don't know if anyone's saying that on the podcast i'm sure i'm sure that i'm sure they're not but but maybe something surprising will occur that means that actually there's a, there's a whole new lease of life given to newsstand sales i don't know what it is um but but i do i do wonder whether there's going to be some 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 things that happen you know it's not often you live for a pandemic is it um what's what's going to come out of that uh uh, is is hard to know. I just I just think about a, a podcast we did a while back on the Black Death. Actually, going back to that and the, the fact that um, after that pandemic, um, women in the Middle Ages um, found themselves in a position where they they had a, a whole new opportunity to develop themselves and to and to take um, take uh, positions that weren't available to them before because of the of the wildly changed social circumstances. I, I wonder what's going to happen as we move out of this pandemic. Do you ha- do you have any hunches? I, well, I, I think there's going to be a space for for, for different sort of um, uh, uh, of retail outlets. I, I wonder about sort of more niche retail outlets, people doing things that are a, a bit more specific, a bit more local, a bit more bespoke, and that gives an opportunity for people to decide what they want to sell. And and uh, you know, obviously, it'll be uh, a lot harder for, um, for for the likes of Frontline and Co to, to manage that sort of process. But but you know, m- maybe there'll be a whole different tranche of uh, of retail outlets. Fascinating. We're intriguing. Well, let, let's see. And finally, Dave, outside of work, a question we ask all our guests on the podcast. Um, how do you relax? Uh, well, I've got I've got three teenage girls, um, so that's not very relaxing. So uh, I go running. Uh, I go running a long way and uh, and uh, clear my head from the uh, from the from the uh, day's work. One way run, a one way run by the sound of things. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> and it, I mean, how, how long, how far do you run? Are you a marathon runner or around the block a couple of times? How, how far uh, do you go? Well, the first I've run is 102 miles and that, that was quite tiring. My feet weren't, weren't in a, a good shape afterwards. The Cotswold Way, it's a, a, a fun fun thing to do. But, uh, yeah. Oh, do, do tell, I must ask, I mean, how long did that take? You didn't do it in one go, presumably, did you? I, I did. I did it in 24 did hours. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it, was, it was quite a thing. Yeah, it's a race. It's a thing. You know, I didn't just do it. Um, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's quite hard work. Well, I'm super impressed, super impressed and, and in awe. Um, <laughs> Dave Musgrove, thank you very much for being our guest on the In Publishing podcast. Thank you, James. A final word from our valued podcast sponsor. Air Business is trusted by 4,000 publications and 3 million happy subscribers, with 10 million customer records on file. 
it processes 500 million pounds each year in 22 currencies and delivers over 300 million items. Find out more at airbusiness.com. Many thanks today for being our guests this time. How the History Extra podcast began life off the back of a single interview and developed into a sustainable, successful and highly productive operation is an inspirational story. The History Extra podcast can be found on all the usual platforms and the History Extra website can be found at historyextra.com but have your credit card ready. As for the Bayer Tapestry, it's still in Normandy and well worth a visit. For more information about us and to listen to previous podcasts, go to our website inpublishing.co.uk. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks' time for another podcast. Bye for now.